guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 14, where Jesus was preparing his disciples for his soon departure from this world. That is his crucifixion, his resurrection that would lead to his ascension into heaven. And so the disciples, the atmosphere of the disciples was one of sadness and Jesus intended to comfort his disciples in the things that he was saying in John chapter 14. And so he told them how he would go and prepare a place for them so that ultimately he would come back and take them to himself and they would be with him forever. But in the meantime, or should we even say in between that time, the time of his departure, and the time of his return, he promised that he would still not leave them as orphans in the world, that he would send his Holy Spirit to them. And by the presence of his indwelling Holy Spirit within them, it would also bring about the indwelling presence of the Father, the Son, as well as the Spirit himself. So Jesus promised not to leave them orphans, but that he would ultimately come to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the meantime, he told them to love one another and that this love that they have for one another would be an example and evidence to the world that they are indeed his disciples. But in the interim, although he would be gone, there would come trouble and times of difficulties for all of his people. And so he said he would grant them a special gift, his own peace. As Jesus stated, my peace I give unto you, not like the world gives his peace, but my peace. So therefore, Jesus gave us in all of the difficulties that he knew that we would face in this life, his own peace that allows us to weather the storm of life until the return of Jesus. And then finally, as he continued to move on toward the point that soon he would be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, who was gone at this time, and then ultimately crucified, he knew that that time and that hour was approaching. And so he said to them, this time has come. Let us go and let us be off. Time to do the will of the Father. To prove that he loved the Father, he would do the ultimate in giving his life according to the commandment of God. And for with that, he departed from that particular scenario right before he told the disciples that they would be tested. In other words, remember the whole point that he was telling Peter that he would ultimately deny him. But we know that this was not just for Peter alone. This would be a testing for all of his disciples, okay? A test that all of them would fail. But nevertheless, Jesus got up from the Passover table and it is from the, and here's where we are now in chapter 15, either in the house or going towards the garden, in the garden. But the whole idea is you're in the middle, you're in the mid part between Jesus ending the Passover celebration meal and preparing to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we know that ultimately Judas would meet him with a band of soldiers and take him out to be condemned and ultimately to be crucified. So we're in that particular section in chapter 15. And so the whole idea that, that Jesus is basically going to teach them is to abide in him, 
to love one another and to continue on to be weary of the world, even though that they have to continue his ministry. So basically three things that we're going to see in chapter 15, the abiding in Jesus. We'll talk about all of these things as we get there. The abiding in Jesus, once again, the loving of one another, and then finally, the dealing with the world. Okay. Now chapter 20, 15 is not as long as chapter 14. So the Lord willing, we'll be able to finish this also in one video. And it's not that difficult, but what we have is uh, narrative from our Lord Jesus as he states certain particular commands and also gives them certain revelations about things. All right, let's begin 15 and one. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Okay, now let's stop there because there are a couple of issues that we need to deal with. All right, moving on from the Passover meal, that Passover table celebration, Jesus begins to instruct his disciples on their continued, or should I even say, concerning their continued relationship with him. And so he opens up and says to them, he says in parabolic fashion, and even as Jews, they can understand very much so what Jesus is talking about. They should be able to. So he opens up in parabolic fashions in the sense of a parable, calling himself the vine. They, the disciples being the branches and the father being the vine dresser or the husbandman of the vineyard. That is so. In this sense, you have to think of it this way. So again, as we deal with this uh, parabolic teaching of Jesus, turn on the theater of your mind. Jesus is the vine. That is the main branch through which the nutrients pass. The branches, the branches are those are the branches that are attached to that main stem. I probably should have said that word. That's why he calls himself the vine, the main stem to the, which the branches are attached to. And you can see that all the time. When you look at any type of fruit trees, the branches that come forth from that, and it is from those branches that the fruit come. Jesus is calling himself that main stem to the, which I am the vine to the which the branches, you disciples are the branches, are attached from the branches. The disciples is the fruit and the fruit basically is the works, the pleasing works of God. We can also understand this as being the continued ministry of Jesus. OK, so with the apostles, 
we understand it. The continuing ministry of Jesus in a broad sense, we understand it as basically things, works of righteousness that are pleasing to God, works of righteousness that are pleasing to God. And notice as God is the vine dresser, what does the vine dresser do? Again, staying with the imagery of the parable, he sees the particular plant that is growing. He sees the vine. The vine is that which is necessary. But then he sees the branches, okay? And some of those branches, some bear fruit, some bear fruit, and some of those branches become fruitless and even die. What the vine dresser does is for those unproductive branches, he comes and clips, he cuts them off in order that the vine, the branches that are producing fruit may be able to produce more fruit by receiving the nutrients that could go to this. So in this whole idea of the parable, now with this being said, Jesus being the vine through the which all of the nutrients flow, the disciples being the branches through the which they receive these nutrients and they, the disciples, branches, ultimately produce fruit. But in order to produce this wonderful fruit, which is the desire of the vine dresser, who is God the Father, in order to pro produce this fruit, the branch must stay connected to the vine. Okay, so now with all of that said, Let's now go and talk about the spiritual import of what Jesus was trying to say. So he opens up and begins and says, I am the true vine. Now, the question that comes in should come into your mind is, why did Jesus call himself the true vine? The idea which should automatically say what? If he is the true vine, something else which seemed to be the vine was not the true vine. And what Jesus basically saying is he is relating to Israel itself. And you can see this in like Isaiah chapter, what was that? Chapter five, uh, uh, my beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill and things of that nature. And so you'll see this in several places in Old Testament passages where Israel is referred to as the vine. But what was the problem with Israel? Israel never produced fruits of righteousness. Israel as a whole and as a nation never was truly pleasing to God. And we know this because what? We know that, and we're not gonna get into all of the history of Israel, but the bottom line was the nation was dispersed. It was dispersed among the Assyrians first, then they were dispersed with what? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar under the Babylonians. And even finally, as prophesied by Jesus in Matthew 23, the nation will be dispersed in 70 AD, which has not happened at this time, but it will be. But the whole point of it all is the vine, the vine of Yahweh, the vine of the Lord Israel never lived up in a way to please God. So therefore it was not a good vine, but as Isaiah said in chapter five, it was a wild vine. So Jesus here says, because he is the one, he is the true Israelite, Isaiah chapter 40. He is the true servant of God who pleases God and does only what is right in the sight of God. Jesus now says he himself 
He alone is the true vine. He is the true Israelite, okay? The one who indeed bears fruit unto God, the one who indeed does what is pleasing to God the Father. So that's why he calls himself the true vine, and then, of course, the Father being the vine dresser. Then Jesus puts his attention on the branches. Now, the branches basically can be understood as two types, and that's why you see what Jesus speaks about later on. Branches who abide in him and bear fruit and even greater fruit and branches who bear no fruit and are clipped by God the Father, taken out and, be, and to be burned. The branches that Jesus speaks of are the two types of disciples. One disciple is a true disciple because why? A true believer, a genuine believer and disciple in Jesus bears fruit, does, and the idea of bearing a fruit is because of his attachment to Jesus, his love for Jesus, his true relationship with Jesus, he does what is good and pleasing in the sight of God. And this is what it means to bear fruit, to do what is right, pleasing, to be obedient to God, to do what is right in the sight of God is the bearing of the fruit. But then you have the other branches who fail to bear fruit. This is the hip hypocritical believer. This is an, uh, a non-genuine, a believer that is not true. This is what we call a hypocrite. This is a person who merely confesses Christ, but when you observe their lives, there is no fruit, fruit of true relationship. What did Jesus say again earlier in John 14? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you truly belong to Jesus, there should be some sort of fruit of obedience. This fruit is the evidence that you have a true and genuine relationship with Jesus. Your way of life is the evidence that you, the branch, are indeed connected to the vine, that you are indeed abiding with the vine. Why? Because you are able to bear fruit. But for that branch, that particular branch that is bearing no fruit, the absence of the fruit is the evidence, the absence of a life that is pleasing to God. The absence of obedience to God is a life that proves you are not a genuine branch, but you are a discarded branch. And what did Jesus say? My father takes that particular branch, removes it from me, and ultimately burns it in the fire. And so this is very clear what? That these are unbelievers. These are just professors in Jesus alone, but in reality, they are not true and genuine believers. And ultimately, their destination is hell itself. The Father cuts them off and places them out to be burned. But again, going back to the right branch, the right branch, that one that is bearing fruit, just because such a branch is connected to the Lord and such a branch is bearing fruit, we also find out what happens. The Father also works with that branch that it can bear even greater fruit. 
This can be understood as the process of sanctification in the life of the believer. In other words, even though we are saved, we do not still, we don't do everything right in the sight of God. What God does is he uses situations and things in our lives to bring about greater sanctification, greater purification, greater obedience in our lives. So when we see these things, consider it like what Paul says in Romans 8 and 28. And we know what? That all things work together for the good, for those who are the called of God. For those true and genuine branches, God works in our lives to mature us, even to allow things to come upon us, to draw us even closer to God, to make us, to conform us, to conform us even more so to the image of his dear son. And what is the image of Jesus? Absolute obedience to the father so that the father would take pleasure in our lives. Or as Jesus is saying in this parable, so that we, those branches which are there, can even bring about what? Even more fruit. And so what? God uses our lives. He brings about situations in our lives. He uses certain situations in our lives, even when they seem to hurt and be most uncomfortable. But guess what it is doing? It is sanctifying us. It is making us better. Have you not ever had something to happen in your life? And it was not good, but you understood that it brought you closer to God and it kind of weaned out a lot of crap that was in your life, a lot of sinfulness or something that you was doing. It helped wean it out. The father cut it off. It helped wean it out so that you can be better, so that you can live better for your Lord Jesus. And in reflecting on what God had done for you, you said to yourself, and if I had a chance to choose whether to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. Why? Because when God did that or allowed that thing in my life, he actually helped me, strengthened me, made me better, made me spiritually stronger. And this is the pruning that the father does for those good branches that are bearing some fruit. He helps you to bear even more fruit. And for this reason, Jesus keeps using this terminology, and this is one of John's favorite terms, to abide in him. Jesus says, abide. So what does it mean? It literally means it. the idea, for the most part, is speaking of continued fellowship, continued fellowshipping with the Son through prayer, through obedience, through the life that you live, through dependence on him for all things. And see, that's the very idea of what? This instance of the branch and the vine. The branch has no life within itself. The only way that it can have continued life and bear fruit is its connection to the vine. So the only way that we can have continued spiritual life and continual bearing of fruit, good things, righteousness that is received from God, something that God is pleased with, 
is in having this what? Abiding, continued relationship with Jesus, a continued sense of prayer. And I don't want to get into all of such details because you yourself know that when you continue in that relationship with Jesus, in fellowship, in thoughtfulness, in prayer, and I cannot express, express to you enough, in prayer, when you continue in these things, this abiding in Jesus, it enables you to do the things that are pleasing to Jesus. You can fight off the devil in a sense, but that's what I'm in a sense by saying what? By this building of strength, by this gaining, gaining of strength that you have through abiding, fellowship with Jesus, praying to God, relationship with God. By this abiding, you gain strength and in gaining strength, you do what is pleasing to God. And you don't find yourself having to repent all the time about some of everything. And that's what Jesus means when he says to abide in him, this remaining connected to him, spiritually connected to him. And I would even express prayer, prayer. Okay. And so he says all of these things. Why? Because back to the parable, if the branch is ever disconnected to the vine, it dies. And of course it cannot bear fruit. So Jesus says, you must maintain this relationship with me, this relationship of word again, fellowship, fellowshipping with me, prayerfully with me, spiritual connection with me. Why? Because in the absence of this, you cannot bear any fruit at all. The branch simply dies. And so he says, ultimately, if the branch simply dies because of it's not bearing fruit at all, not bearing fruit at all, it's taken away by the father and burned. We've already made a statement that what? These are the hypocritical, mere professors that they believe in Jesus, but these are not genuine believers. God works in the life of genuine lives of the genuine believers to bring fruit, even greater fruit. But to those who are just simply professors, ultimately they'll find that their destination is hell. Seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so Jesus simply said this, and by that abiding in him, let's not rehearse everything. What? That continual relationship. I'm sorry, proper term, fellowship. That continuing fellowship, staying on your knees and praying, or some people say reading your Bible, read your Bible and pray every day. What happens? You grow, grow, grow. All right. So by that abiding in him, you are aware of the will of the Lord and you are also able to ask the Lord for anything. And notice that anything simply means the idea of those things that are according to his will. You see, as you abide in Jesus, you understand about Jesus and you understand the will of Jesus. So therefore, when you begin to ask for things, you're not going to ask for things outside of his will, 
because you've been abiding. You've been praying. You've been reading your Bible. You've been studying. You're growing closer to Jesus. This is all of this abiding stuff. And by this abiding, staying with Jesus, praying and reading and studying your Bible and seeking understanding and seeking those who have greater wisdom and knowledge to help you understand even clearer what is the will of the Lord, you know what to ask for when you pray. And so therefore, when you get on your knees to pray, you don't ask for things outside of God's will. You ask for things according to God's will. And those things that are according to his will, he hears, he answers, and he will give us. And this is what Jesus is saying. So if you're abiding in me, you'll be able to ask me. And guess what? By the asking of me, and this is kind of relating early to what he said in John chapter 14, but asking of him and Jesus answering the prayer, and this ultimately allows the believer to bear even more fruit, this glorifies God the Father. So God is glorified, what? When we bear fruit because we are doing what? Abiding, remaining with a close fellowship with Jesus in the aspect that I just told you about. And Jesus says what? And thus, and thus, unlike the branch that was cut off with it and died and ultimately went to the fire, thus by you abiding in me, understanding me being and coming to me and asking me according to my will and the father being pleased with all of that, in all of these things, you demonstrate, you show evidence, that indeed you are genuine branches. You prove yourselves to be my disciples indeed by staying with me, fellowship with me, praying to me, uh, trying to live for me. You'll be able to ask whatever you want to ask and, and, and I'll do it. The father would do it. This brings glory to God. And in all of this, what does it prove concerning this branch? You, that branch. It proves that you are indeed my disciples. And this takes us back to what we were saying earlier about the two kinds of branches, the true genuine branch that brings forth fruit and what that hypocritical simply confess, or should I say professing branch that's not truly saved, but brings forth no fruit. All right, let's continue. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Okay. And so now Jesus continues to say what? To abide in him. And what does he mean by simply abiding in him as he's moving here in this direction? the keeping of his commandments. You don't abide in Jesus when we are living in disobedience. To abide in Jesus, to love Jesus, is to do what Jesus says. Remember what Jesus said earlier, why do you say unto me, why do you call me? Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say. And so here he continues to say that such abiding in him is evidence Love for him is evidence in the keeping of his commandments. And in doing so, what? He says, just if you keep my commandments, 
I will abide in you just like I kept the father's commandment and the father abides in me. So these things, what I am urging you to be obedient, to remain with me, to maintain this abiding fellowship that I've been telling you about so that your joy may be made full. Okay. And I don't want to get, make too much of a digression, but if you've been saved long enough, you have gone through excursions of points in your life that you did not obey the Lord. Consider how that spiritually denigrated you. Consider how that spiritually brought you down, how you spiritually were feeling at the time. Not good at all. But then compare that to other seasons in your life when you were reading and praying and worshiping and fellowshipping with God and spiritually, spiritually alive with God, walking in obedience to God. Remember how that made you feel. Notice what Jesus says, abiding in him, obeying him. What does that do for your joy so that your joy will be made Full, you experience God's good pleasure on you when you are walking with him and keeping his commandment. And that's why we bring in the whole idea, the whole idea of this particular section here, for the most part, is dealing with fellowship. It is not talking about getting saved. The assumption is here. Number one, there is a natural branch. There's a good branch that is producing fruit that who those who are already saved. And then there is the bad branch that is not producing fruit. One who is merely professing to be saved, but is not saved. But the idea is for the one that is the good branch to do what? What is the key term that Jesus keeps saying? Remain in me or abide, remain in me. Why? So that you can not only bring the fruit that you have bring brought, but bring even greater fruit. And ultimately what? That relationship, that fellowship, it can be full of great joy, walking with Jesus, obeying Jesus. You know it and I know it. When we are in a good fellowship with Jesus, we are spiritually happy people, very, very happy people. And so now here Jesus talks about now joy. You remember in chapter 14, he has already spoken about what? Peace, his peace. And now he is talking about what? Experiencing the joy that he has for you. Such joy that can only be experienced when we are walking in obedience to the Lord. Or as Jesus is saying here, abiding with him. Okay. Verse number 12. This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you now, let's stop there. Now, so, so the first section that we dealt with, because remember there were three primary sections that we will see in chapter 15. The first one is that abiding in Jesus, remaining connected to Jesus, that fellowship by, by virtue of obedience that allows us to experience joy. 
Now we move into this particular section that Jesus is talking about once again, like he did in chapter 14, re-emphasizing a commandment that he has given us to love one another. And the whole idea of his love for one another, different from what that which is given in the law, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, no, I say unto you, love one another as I have loved you. Now, Jesus just brought that to the highest level that it can be brought. No one can love us greater than Jesus. And so he continues on to simply say what? The expression of his love, the greatness of his love is proven in that he laid down his life. And so he begins to say what? For his friends. No one can have a greater love than this, than that a man should lay down his life for his friend. And I like this even so, as the Apostle Paul said, for even while we were yet enemies, Christ died for those who hated him, even while we were enemies. But nevertheless, Jesus is giving them a command to love one another in the same way that he loved, that is, with a self-sacrificing love. And notice he says friends. He calls them friends. And he's going to work on this particular title that he's given them as friends later on as we move through the text. But he, ret he uh, returns back into again what he's been saying about the issue of abiding, abiding in the keeping of his commandments. So what does he say? And you are my friends. Notice, notice how that's predicated. If you do whatever I command you. So in, again, friend deals with the issue of what? That fellowship, that ongoing fellowship with Jesus, that spiritual joy that we are able to experience only when we are obedient to Christ. You cannot be disobedient and say that you have within yourself this fellowship with the Lord, this joy of the Lord. No, you will not have this joy because you are not walking in obedience. But nevertheless, Jesus says he changed it. And we're going to see that change coming later on in that title reference by calling them friends. But what I do want you to see and I'm not going to make a big issue out of it. He calls them friends. Jesus, John 1, verses 1, 2, by him, all things were made. In the book of Colossians, through him, nothing in the created universe exists that he did not make. Jesus is the God and the creator of this entire world. He rules over all things. Jesus is Elohim. Elohim is the self-existent God. He is the God who needs nothing. He is the God who lacks nothing. He is all-powerful and within himself, he is full and complete, lacking nothing. Now, why did I say all of that? He doesn't need us. He didn't need the disciples, the apostles, to be his friends. It is absolutely condescending for the almighty God to call a mere creature, a mere man, a sinful man, 
his friend. Look at the grace of our Lord that he would even call us friends as we see in the, what was it second chronicles 20 and also in the book of what is it isaiah how when it gave reference to abraham how god said that abraham was his friend that is magnificent god doesn't need a friend he doesn't need a friend but for him to condescend to drop down to stoop down to such levels it shows the love and grace of God that he would even call us his friends because right okay let me just move on and you'll see it but notice it when you do what I command 15 no longer no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you that you love one another. Okay, so now let's finish this section in the command to love one another. What G remember, we stopped off with Jesus calling them friend, and you saw me making this huge deal of how condescending lowering of himself is the statement of Jesus. Why? We are just creatures, and Jesus is the almighty God, God of heaven and earth. Jesus is the creator of angels, of the universe itself, and yet he calls a joker like me his friend. But no, no longer do I call you slave. You see that now what Jesus is talking about, he said, no longer do I call you slaves is he is acknowledging from the fact that he is speaking to them what the father has told him. Jesus is not treating them as a slave, one, to simply do what I say. You don't have to understand what I say, and you don't have to understand uh, 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 what's going on in my mind and in my heart. That's not for you to understand. It is only for you to obey what I say. That's a slave. Jesus says, I'm not treating you this way. Why? Because I'm letting you know what is in my heart and in my mind, the things that I have heard from the father. So I am treating you in a unique way by sharing these intimacies, intimacies of knowledge with you. And who shares intimacy of knowledge? Friends, friends share secrets, friends share uh, uh, guarded things and things that they don't normally tell anybody. So Jesus is saying, I'm not treating you as a slave. I'm treating you as a friend by telling you all of these things. However, so let me pause. We are still, even though Jesus treats us this way and even lovingly regards us in this manner, all of us are still slaves of Jesus. We are not here to put ourselves on an equal basis with Jesus. We are not to think that Jesus can say one thing and we can decide to do another. 
He is still the potter and we are all the clay. He is still the God and we are mere creatures. He is still the sovereign one and we are still his slaves. Like Paul would open up in almost every single letter that he has wrote. When Paul makes an address to himself, he calls himself doulos. He calls himself what? the slave of Jesus. Even James, James is the half brother of Jesus. When James opens his epistle, look at it in James 1 and 1. What does James call himself? Even He doesn't even refer to himself as the brother or half brother of Jesus. He says, I am the slave of Jesus. So don't get it confused. Our status as to what we are, we are still the servants the slaves of the living God, but he regards us in love and gracious fellowship as his friends. And this is a beautiful thing to consider. Okay, enough. So he says again, so he talks about they didn't choose him. Again, he makes them know, because remember he said that earlier about they didn't choose him. But the choosing of them, Jesus simply emphasizing is not so much as the choice for election, election unto salvation, not so much as that, but that he, that is inclusive. Yes, but more so that he chose them so that they would bring forth fruit. And that is fruits of obedience, works of righteousness, and even more so as it pertains to the apostles, continuing work in the ministry, continuing teaching and preaching of the gospel. I've chosen you so that you would bring forth this fruit and what? And that this fruit would remain, that they would have great success in their ministry. As we see indeed they did, that after Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles would continue on with the preaching of Jesus as Lord and Christ, God, and man, Messiah, Christ, man, and what their ministry would have continual, or should I say great, great effectiveness. Many people would be saved from the Jews to the Samaritans, ultimately even to the Gentiles, that their fruit would remain. And so what? And in keeping that relationship, notice Jesus is binding all of the things that he has been saying thus far, right? And that to abide in him, to love one another and keeping of his commandments, he brings all of this together. And so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he'll give it to you. So in, in doing all of this for the ministers, that's why I see, notice that context, that fruit, that fruit is what? doing the things that Jesus would have you to do. Specifically, even so, the spreading of the gospel, the continuation of the ministry of Christ, to preach, to declare, Jesus is Lord, he is God, he is man, he is Christ, he is the one who died for our sins, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and God has submitted all judgment to him and him alone because he is the son of man. When we preach these things, this is bearing fruit that God is well pleased with. 
You got it? And so therefore, in God's pleasure, Jesus said, for this reason, he said, I've chosen you specifically, even so here, the disciples that Jesus is talking about, even it applies to us all, but specifically to them, do this. And so what? So that when you pray and ask me for things, now do you see how the prayer is qualified? What? I am trying to fulfill the ministry that Jesus has given me to fulfill. I am not. So therefore, when I'm praying, I am asking God, Father, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, for the continued work of Jesus to do what is pleasing to him and to you. It brings glory to the son. It brings glory to the father. I pray, Father, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me understanding of your word so that I might declare your word to your people. Father, help me so that I can do this thing in ministering to your people to continue to serve just like my Lord Jesus did. So you begin See, you know, you know the will of God. You are not getting on your knees and saying, Lord, you know, I'm driving this Subaru and I'm tired of this Subaru. I want a Cadillac. Lord, give me a Cadillac. Is this the will of Christ? Is this the will of God? No, you understand it is not about your prosperity. You understand, Lord, I got this old shack of a house. I would truly love a 35,000 square foot house like Jesse Duplantis and... <laughs> That foolishness that he calls himself preaching, which is no gospel. And he is not even saved. He is not even saved. Jesse Duplantis and all of this word of faith. Garbage. Garbage. You know, you, you know what to pray for. And since you know what to pray for, why? It is about the ministry. What blesses the Lord Jesus? Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done not what material possession Jesus can give you. You don't read all about that. When you worry about that, Jesus says you are proving yourself to be of little faith. You are proving yourself not to even have the faith of birds. For the birds neither sow nor do they reap, but nevertheless their heavenly father takes care of them. Oh, you of little faith, don't you know it is your father's good pleasure. He'll not only take care of you, but give you what you truly need, more of the Holy Spirit, not more of things, but don't worry about the things. But what I want you to do commands the Lord Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Seek what is pleasing to God. And what about the things in this world? All the things that you need shall be added unto you, even without the asking. Don't seek things. Seek him. And when you understand Christ and when your relationship and your fellowshipping with him is as what it's supposed to be in the first part of John 15, Jesus says, ask me what you will. Because number one, what? You know what to ask. You will ask things that bring glory to Christ and glory to the father, not glory to yourself. 
You will ask things that do what? That further the ministry of Jesus in a way that Jesus would have it furthered. So therefore the father is pleased to answer your prayers. And then he finally ends this section and let me end it with this. He says, what? Love one another. And this concludes the first section, second section. So what do we see? First section, what? Abide in me. That fellowship of love, continuing love and obedience to Jesus as Lord. And then he says, what? Love one another, right? Now let's deal with this final section here in dealing with the world. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Okay, so let's deal with that section. As we've already stated now that Jesus is concentrating on this issue and how the disciples should deal with the world and what expectation they would have from the world. And this is something that we need to understand. The world did not love Jesus. By the world, it means the, those who are of this world, of this life, unbelievers in God, not seeking to please God, Therefore, they did not recognize Jesus as Christ. They rejected Jesus as Christ. Why? Because they did not have the love of God in them. For if indeed they knew God, they would have received Jesus. But because they didn't know God, they also rejected Jesus, even to the point of hatred. What am I saying? We need to have this understanding. That the world, unbelieving world, disobeying of the commandments of God, world hated God and they also hated, thusly, they hated Jesus. If they hated Jesus, why do we think that the world today should love us? Why should we care about the, the, the acceptance of the world? The world hates you. Why should we look for so-called, what do people call these folk? Uh, uh, stars, uh, whatever they call I did, It doesn't make a rat's rear. What you call Oprah Winfrey or what the devil you call Will Smith or somebody like that or what the devil you call all of these so-called folk. You know what they call these folk, these so-called superstars. Because what? The way I feel, they get up and put their pants on. The, second, the same way that I put my pants on. They are no different than me, except for they got a lot of money and foolish notoriety. And when you really consider the way they think, they are stone crazy. But I ain't getting into all of that. But these are the people of the world. They don't love Jesus. They don't love God. They don't obey Jesus. And they surely, and let me say this part again, they surely don't believe the scripture. 
They surely don't believe that. So I don't give a rat's rear how much T.D. Jakes goes to Oprah Winfrey. I, don't, I ain't got no trust in T.D. Jakes' tale either. And I don't give a rat's rear how much Joel Osteen goes to Oprah Winfrey. And they come to hit. All of that is crap and of the world. We as God's people are never looking for acceptance we, as God's people, are never looking for validation from the world. Let me say that again. We do not need to be validated by the world. I don't give a sewing soul what Elon Musk says about me. I belong to Jesus Jesus is real. God is real. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is God. Jesus is in heaven. And one day Jesus will come back and judge every joker. That's what I believe. And I can care less about what Elon Musk and anybody think. And even if they begin to seem like, oh, it look like they believe in Jesus and look like they believe in God. I don't care. I don't need them to validate my faith in God. The word validates my faith. The spirit validates me. Jesus validates me. And as long as Jesus receives me, that's enough. I don't need folk to like me. I need the Lord to love me, to abide in me, to come with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit inside of me and abide in me and love me. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we need. That's what the church need. We don't need Hollywood. That's the world. God bless Denzel if he is saved. I hope he is. But I don't need Denzel just because Denzel is saved. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. So he's no different from you and me. He got to answer to Jesus just like you, just like me. That means nothing. Okay. Remember that. Now let's go back. World hating. That's what Jesus is simply saying. World hated him. Don't be surprised because what? The world is going to hate you. The world loves its own. The world does not love God's people. They hate us. They want to silence us. If they could, they would kill us all and get rid of us all. Only by the hand, power, and grace of God do we yet remain. Just keep watching. Just live on. Uh, hopefully you won't be involved because I am a pre-tribber as I told you guys in chapter 14. But at the time of the tribulation, look in the books of Revelation chapter 13 and chapter uh, 17, but especially chapter 13, what? They would try to literally kill all of God's people. Oh, look at chapter 12, when the Antichrist himself would come and try to kill all of the Jews. The world hates you. But anyway, but Jesus simply says what? And he tries to bring to their remembrance that, remember that I told you that a slave is not greater than his master. And Jesus uses this statement in a principal way. Because when Jesus first used that statement, a slave is not uh, greater than his master, he used that statement to talk about service and humility. Service and humility. Now he is using this statement about slave is not greater than his master to speak of like kind. That is, if they hated me, 
the master, what do you think they're going to feel about the slave? You, if they hated me, they will also hate you. And that's why he expands and says, what? If they persecuted me and the world did, and this is the people to whom they should bring the gospel to, the people to whom Jesus brought the gospel to, if they persecuted him, what? Expect the same thing. They will also persecute you. But if they obeyed me, loved me, guess what? They will also obey and love you. Why? Because it is not so much you, but me that this is all about. In the end, he says what? They do these things that will be this hatred for you, just like it was a hatred for me, because they do not know God. They do not know the one who sent me. The world does not know God. They may talk about God. They may talk about a God, but the true and living God can only be known when you know Jesus. He who receives me, receives not only me, but the one who sent me. If you do not have the son, you cannot have the father, period. So you cannot have a knowledge or relationship with God the father and reject Jesus as to who he claims to be, God in the flesh. If you don't accept that, if you don't believe that, and what the Bible teaches about Jesus, you don't know God the Father. Okay? Now, let's bring this part. Let's draw near to a close. 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. Interesting. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. Again, notice that. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. So now let's talk about that because it could be sort of confusing, but let's unpack what Jesus is saying. Because here, the word that is operative here is sin. That's the operative word, right? And what must be understood is, is, is about this word is sin is used in the singular. It is used in the singular. So Jesus said, no, break it down. If I had not come and spoken to them. All right. So that's that's the key. If Jesus saying, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no singular sin. If What did Jesus come and speak to them? And declare that is to the Jewish people, to the Jewish people. But remember, the whole idea is these Jewish people, the ones who rejected Jesus that he's talking about here are members of the unbelieving world. They are part of this world. Those who hate God, those who hate Jesus, those who persecuted Jesus, those who will persecute his disciples, who will hate his disciples. You got it. A part of the unbelieving world. But let's go. If I had not come and spoken to them, what did Jesus teach and speak about? His person, that he is what? The son of God. Remember, that is the divine title, the divine title for God. He claimed to be God. I and the father are one. Again, what does he say earlier? Thank to Philip. When you see me, 
you see God, not saying that you're looking at, at a manifestation of God, but the idea is his oneness with God. He claimed to be God. What is the very theme as we say, as we say over and over and over again of this very book that we are studying? What is the theme of the gospel of John? What is the point of John's whole gospel? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And what happened to that word? What happened to God? 14, the word was made flesh. God became man. He took upon himself a human nature and Jesus preached. He was God. He also preached that he was the Messiah as man. He comes in the flesh to fulfill the words of the prophets. Ultimately the prophecy of Isaiah prophecy that is getting in uh, Psalm 22, even Psalm 69 that we're going to talk about, but he comes to give his life for his people. Ultimately, he would be resurrected from the dead with glory. This is what Jesus preached. So notice again, he preached concerning his person. And that's basically the idea in that he is God coming into the flesh to bring salvation to the world. And if I had not spoken to them, they would not have sin. And this makes us understand now why Jesus used the term sin in the singular. Why? Because it was this rejection that became their sin. Their rejection that Jesus is who he says that he is. Who does he say that he is? God. Who does he also say that he is? That's why he keeps saying what? Son, son of God. Remember I kept telling y'all, watch the titles that Jesus uses for himself because he speaks certain things about himself. When he says son of God, he is speaking of his divinity. When he says son of man, he is speaking of his humanity and how he would die on that cross. But notice that's what he spoke to them. That's what they reject. And because they rejected him as God and man, their savior, what? They now have sin. You got it? So until he came, until this point of rejection, and that's what they're that's what Jesus is talking about. Because they have rejected me, their sins remain. And notice, and what else did he say? Because they have no excuse for their sin. What does it mean? Because all of this he is talking about what he's continuing to build upon what? Their hatred for him their disregard for him, their persecution of him. Notice the context. If I had not done among the thing, among them, the works, which no one else had done. In other words, I proved what did I speak to them? I am God. I am man. That's why we see what John, uh, um, uh, showing these seven miracles, seven signs of Jesus. What again, these are sign miracles proving that Jesus did what only God can do. Okay. And again, what the, I am statements of God. And, and I forgot to tell you guys, when Jesus said, I am the vine, this was the seventh and final. I am of Jesus ego, a me of Jesus, right? This divine, uh, uh, this relating to himself as God, uh, uh, Exodus three and 14, Isaiah chapters 
41 through 45, when God will declare himself to be the I am, the true God, things of that nature. No one besides me. You got it? And then what did Jesus do? He did these wonderful signs. Remember, we already talked about what? The three messianic miracles. The leper, To no one has ever healed the leper. Jesus healed the leper, proving that indeed he is messianic. And what else did Jesus do? He opened the eyes of one born blind. Now, this is even beyond a messianic miracle. This is a work that only God can do. And then we saw Jesus even what? Casting out the dumb demons. If I had not done certain things, what things, Jesus, that no man has ever done to prove that what I have been saying about myself is the truth. What you've been saying about yourself, Jesus, I'm God. What you've been saying about yourself, Jesus, I am also the Christ, the son of man. He said, and if I hadn't done these things, they would not have an excuse. He said, but the fact is I did them. So therefore they have no excuse to hate me like they hate me, to disbelieve in me. They have no proof to do all of these things. But what? Because I did these things, they rejected me still as God, their Messiah, their sin remain. So what did I say all of this simply to say? I'm trying to define or to show you why Jesus did not say their sins, lying, stealing, or committing of adultery, because Jesus is not talking about that. That is involved. It is involved. Why? When you come to Jesus in faith, understanding that he went to that cross, rose from the dead for our sins, it was for all of our sins. You got it? All of our sins. So that's implied when you believe in the works of Jesus. But the context here and notice the reason why Jesus used sin in the singular is because Jesus is not talking about all the sins that people can commit, but the sin in particular that they committed. That is to reject him. Why? According to what he spoke. What did he speak? I am son of God. I am son of man. I am God and Christ. They rejected that. They rejected me. So therefore, what? Their sin remain. Their sin of rejection remain. All right. Uh, and then he sighs on and says, but now what? How do you know this is even clear? Notice the language again. They have both seen, the people, seen and hated, seen and hated, me and my father as well. Again, notice the language that we have been seeing from Jesus all this time. It's the language of oneness. And when Jesus uses the language of this absolute oneness, it speaks of his divinity. And by bringing in the father at the same time, he brings in a, 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 a number of things. They have no knowledge of God. You cannot love God and hate me. They have no, uh, 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 that is the love of God. You cannot have a knowledge of God. You cannot know true God and then don't truly know me. Why? There is a oneness that I have with the father. Have I been with you so long that you still do not get it? 
To see me is to see the Father. You cannot have the Father without the Son. God has given judgment, John chapter 5. God has given judgment of all humanity for this particular reason, that he is the Son of Man and so that what? All Everybody may honor the son. How should you honor Jesus? The same way, the what? Same way you honor the father. To not honor the son is to not honor the father. So all of this, all I'm simply trying to say is, these statements speaks of, as Jesus says it so wonderfully in a curt way, curt meaning short, in such a short way, he speaks of his divinity and he speaks of his oneness with the father. And then in this particular context, their hatred for the father. Why? Because of their hatred for Jesus and their ultimate rejection of Jesus. I spoke to them and they did not believe me. I performed signs for them and they still did not receive me. So therefore their sin singular remains. And so what does it say? They saw me in the works that I did, proving the works that I did, proving the things that I said about myself, and they still hated me. Thus, they hated the father as well. Can't have one without the other. Then it says in verse number 25, but they did all of this. I don't know if I read it. I think I should. I, but just in case I did but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. All of this is connected. The idea. So all of this they did in what they did in rejecting. This is Jesus rejecting him as God and Messiah. It was to fulfill the scriptures and in a number of places this is spoken of. But especially you see this in Psalm, 9, Psalm 69, one of the great messianic psalms. When you say messianic psalm, one that pertains to Jesus and his works in some way or another. Psalm 69. It is a psalm of David, but it ultimately is fulfilled as it relates to Jesus in his future work. Okay? What? Notice, but, notice, but notice the double-edged sword of condemnation. Before we continue in that, note that Jesus said, they've done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. Again, see it now. Notice earlier he said, they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Why? Earlier that Jesus said they're without excuse. I did things that no man has ever done. They saw it and still they rejected me. They have no excuse for their sin. Now notice again. There is no excuse for their sin. Why? Is, this is not some law that they heard about, that they heard about from some distant nation. This is their own law. This is the law of Moses. These are the things that they were instructed of concerning me, about me, from their childhood. And this law, this law, which is even their law, even though it is their law, they still rejected me. And so what? The law of Moses, their law is speaking against them and in what they do. What? 
they hated me without a cause. And that's when Jesus quotes Psalm 69. As it is written in Psalm, I think Psalm 69 and verse 4, they hated him without a cause. And he calls, he calls this the law as he speaks to the scripture as a whole. He speaks to the scripture as a what? Whole. So they're being condemned on two grounds. The grounds of the miracles that Jesus performed and even the law to the which they had. They had. There was no reason for them to hate and reject Jesus as they did. They hated him with no good reason. But what we have to remember in the holistic of this section, holistic point of this section is Jesus is talking about the world and how even though it relates to his own Jewish people, but the world at large, how that the disciples should have the same expectation from the world. What did he say earlier? Don't you understand? The slave is not greater than the master. If they love me, they'll love you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your words. They will treat you just like they treated me. So Jesus, this is the whole idea. As he, remember, what is the whole point? Jesus said, I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. A little while you'll see me. And then for a great while, you won't see me. You need to understand how to conduct yourselves in the world and what to expect. What to expect from the world. What should you, my disciples, what should we, the church of Jesus, what should you expect from the world? Hatred, rejection, and persecution. And that's the whole point of this section. But now let's finish. When the helper comes, 26, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, there is a uniqueness in this particular statement. So, but let me tell you as a whole what Jesus is saying. See, I spoke to them certain words and they rejected me. Remember, he just said that. And they ended up what? Hating me without a cause. You too will continue on to testify about me. But the reason or the way in which you will, able to, you will be able to testify about me is, and Jesus already talked about this earlier, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit living inside of you will empower you. The Holy Spirit will, in, that's what it means by, he will testify about me and you will testify. The Holy Spirit living inside of you, the apostles and even us, will begin to stir us up and talk about Jesus, to testify about Jesus, to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, and to speak about Jesus. So this is what the apostles will do when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fills them. They will continue, they will continue the work of Jesus. And Jesus says, you, now here's the point that is particular. You disciples, those 11, we know 12 Matthews would be chosen. You disciples particularly will be chosen for this ministry in a specific way. Why? 
because you guys have been with me from the beginning. You see that? That's why you understand this statement has a particular, a particular understanding for the, the, the 11, Judas is gone and Judas is discarded, but you know, he'll be replaced by Matthias who was with them the whole time as well. We see that in the book of Acts too. But this has a particular application to the 12 because what Jesus says, you have been with me from the beginning. The church has not been with Jesus from the beginning. Only those 12 particular men were. You got it? And so therefore they will have a unique testimony that the spirit will give them. But this also has a principal application for all of God's people. We all will bear witness of Jesus once the spirit of the Lord comes upon us. Once we get saved and I feel and when the spirit infills us, the spirit comes into each and every believer at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, the spirit enters into the believer to remain forever. And then the spirit works in the life of the believer to sanctify the believer. That's what Jesus was talking about earlier about the bearing of the fruit to sanctify the life lives of the believer and empower them, encourage them, you know, make them brave to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim Jesus in what? Let's go back to the very meaning of this statement in a world that hates Jesus in a world that hates them. Okay. And now Jesus finishes that statement. So what do we see? We're now at the end of John 15. So let's wrap it up. What do we see? Jesus come to a disciple and we see basically three things that he said to them abide in him. And that is dealing with the issue of fellowship. That's why John said what he said in his first epistle, epistle of John, first John chapter one, explicitly in verse nine, it deals with the fellowship, ongoing fellowship, the issue of what abiding, abiding. And this is why Jesus told that term abiding, that fellowship with Jesus, that's rich, that rich spiritual to do with Jesus. When we pray, when we're praying like we're supposed to be praying, when we're worshiping God like we're supposed to be worshiping, when we're reading our Bible in context, <laughs> let me emphasize that, in context, even seeking teachers to help us to understand the word, and we are trying to live lives that are obedient to Jesus, obedient, that brings glory to God the Father in our obedience to Jesus, this abiding in him. And what does God do? He sanctifies us. He purges us. He weans out some of that garbage in our lives and helps us to become conformed into the image of Jesus. And this is what we mean by the idea of sanctification. We, we get closer and closer to God and at the sin that we need, we sin less and less. We never get to perfection, but we do sin less and less. And when we do fall, God works in us to bring us back to where we need to be. But that's the first part, the abiding in, a, in him. And then he says what? Now love one another. He says what? You love one another just like I have loved you. And this commandment I have given you of the father. The father is pleased in this 
and I am pleased with this. And all of these things I'm saying to you, because what? This is the third section. I'm getting ready to go away. You need to be prepared for how the world is going to receive you. How will they receive me, Jesus? He said, look how they did me. They hated me for no reason. They hated me without a cause. So therefore, what? The slave is not greater than the master. If they hated me, they will also hate you. If they persecuted me, which they did, they'll also persecute you. But if some of them loved me and kept my word, guess what? Some of them will love you and keep your word. But as a whole, as far as the unbelieving world is concerned, I want you to realize what is before you. Persecutions are before you. Hatred from the world is before you. Rejection by the world is before you. Why? Because they did all of these things to me. And I'm saying all of this to you to prepare you. One day the spirit will come and the spirit will testify of me. The spirit working inside of you and you will testify about me. Don't think when you begin to tell these people about God, which the world does not know, and tell these people about me, don't think that the people will applaud you. Don't think that they will come to your side in mass numbers. Only a few will. This is what I'm preparing you for. The world will hate you. Okay? All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me with that. In John chapter 15, join me next time as we continue with this teaching of preparation for what will be in uh, what the disciples can expect in their ministry in the world. And we're going to also see an ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit that Jesus will talk about as well in chapter 16. So join me when we get ready to get into chapter 16 on our next video. And once again, if the Lord has blessed your heart through these teachings and you will say, and if you can say, Pastor Lee, I'm very appreciative about what you do. And I want to support you to continue to bring these lessons to God's people. I want to join hands with you and I want to be a partaker. That's what Jesus was talking about, how he who reaps and, and, and he who sows, they come together as one. They work together as one in the kingdom. You see, even though you may not be doing the teaching and you may not be doing the preaching, but when you support me, you join hand with me and also you will reap with me. God will give you a blessing. But anyway, if God has so blessed your heart and you want to support, may I, have, may I ask you, there's a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. Will you please support this ministry? We do need your help. And for those of you who have supported the ministry, thank you for all that you do. All right, enough said, guys. See you next time.